Welcome to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. Tonight, we're so excited to be joined by Brody Reed, who is a comedian, an actor, a writer, a musician, also a podcaster with the male gaze and dark weeb. Brody, welcome. Hey, guys. Um, it's good to be here. Um, you did miss some of my credits, Tom. I do have to point that out. Um, also, Please. I am a, uh, I'm a CPA, I'm a certified accountant, um, <laughs> and also, um, uh, I'm one of those guys who, uh, I'm a notary. <laughs> Imagine if I was and I just forgot <laughs> right off the top what it was. <laughs> um, just to clarify, wait, are you an accountant or not? Yeah. Because I know that, yeah. that Brandy is. <laughs> I know some comedians who are also accountants because they found out it was just way cheaper to do their own taxes if they got certified as oh, an accountant. That's a good idea. I would honestly love to have any kind of skill that was not in entertainment, truly. Um, I know comedians who are lawyers, um, who are just like doctors and stuff. Like, I, <laughs> I can't do much. <laughs> I really cannot. Um, I, I was a- actually really excited by that mm-hmm. accounting news because I'm looking for a job and I thought you guys might need a clerk <laughs> or something. <laughs> I have a food handler's license. <laughs> if anyone needs anything. I was... I was thinking about getting my food handler's license renewed just to be able to get my COVID vaccine. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but luckily they opened it all up before it was... Uh, I did it. Basically, it was when, like, every day, remember we were getting those tweets, they were like, come through, but you do have to lie to get there. Like, you right. do have yeah. to bring something that is a lie. So I was trying to find the convincing lie to, like, do my part and get vaccinated. And I was like, I could, I don't know, I could buy a food handler's license again, take that test. Yeah. I truly considered lying, and then instead, I ended up driving two hours out of Los Angeles to get one at Bakersfield. And I know this podcast probably coming out a little bit late and everyone listening to it, the whole world is already vaccinated, which is great. <laughs> Congratulations, everyone. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we did uh, it. I, I, I did. I, I also drove a long distance. I went to Riverside and after Ooh. I got vaccinated, I went to Jack in the Box and my stomach was upset the whole drive home in traffic. So that's the Riverside promise, man. <laughs> Riverside is where Julie Cooper from the OC is from. Oh, nice. That's, that's where my that's huge. dad is. I guess he went to high school there. Um, so maybe with he Julie was Cooper. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Um, so this is watching movies at the bar. We didn't say our names. I'm Bethy Squires. I'm Thomas Grabinski. And uh, the podcast is about the experience of watching a movie, probably on silent at a bar, and sort of vaguely paying attention to it. And that's how I've gotten a lot of my film education. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Like one class in Japan, <laughs> one class in Japanese cinema, and the rest is just like going to Jay's and seeing what's on TCM. <laughs> nice. Rest yeah. in peace, Jay's. God damn. Well, what did you watch besides Akira Kurosawa in that class? Our teacher was big into Ozu, so we okay. watched Good Morning and Tokyo I Story. Nice. I love Good Morning. That's definitely going to be on the pod at some point. Yeah. Because. You got to see that fart joke in beautiful technical. It's <laughs> yeah. really important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> but we had to do, sorry, we had to do a uh, a short film in the style of Ozu and and me and 
our producer Colin, who is also my spouse, played brother and sister mm-hmm. in it. <laughs> nice. Um, Love in it. our little Incense. like, yeah, it was cute. It was like we're sisters, and then. Then I edited it and never touched editing, like video editing software again in my life. <laughs> so that was that class. Be, just be careful you're not still paying for Adobe Premiere. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you. That was me all through college. At any given time, I had like 30 or $40 and the weekly subscription, <laughs> the monthly subscription for that was like 35 bucks. So I was yeah. always in hot water with my Adobe subscription. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Maybe this is the day it'll be useful. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, but what is, Brody, what is your experience of bars and potentially watching movies at bars? Um, I have done thousands of comedy shows in bars. Um, I've been paid in literally millions of drink tickets. Imagine. Just <laughs> <laughs> give me 10 drink tickets a show. But, um, uh it's it's been a good experience um usually the bartenders will have good taste putting on movies um honestly if you just interviewed bartenders i think you'd find some good stuff for this podcast um one interesting thing that i've kind of found is there's some bar in um like echo park or something and i have forgotten which one it is because i've only been there a couple times but they show their movies, whatever the movie is, they show it in black and white, and it, like, instantly makes a movie more interesting. Like, I think they showed, like, they showed probably, like, a like a Rob Snyder film, like The Hot Chick or something. But <laughs> it was in black and white, and you're just like, wow, this is actually, actually pretty cinematic. <laughs> when you desaturate, it becomes the Schneider cut. It's something else entirely. <laughs> Yeah, somehow became four hours. I don't know what happened there. Uh, I wonder if that was a choice to make the place feel artsier or yeah. whether just something bad happened to the TV, like a full picture of Marx or something spilled on some cable and now just color doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I def- I think that was like literally the whole bar's theme was, hey, we're going to show a movie in black and white. It was like projected against the wall. It was pretty big, too. I mean... Bigger than, like, you know, just a 50-inch TV or something like that. It wasn't, like, huge or anything, but um, I don't know. Especially, I think I was there on, like, a Wednesday or something, and it was a vibe. I That was the one and only time I've ever, like, or or at least in recent memory, where I've, like, bought a stranger a drink just to, like, <laughs> be, like, cute. <laughs> it, it felt like it fit the vibe. <laughs> did, did, that, did that go well? Um, it went well in that moment. Like I definitely struck up a conversation and I think got her like socials or something. And then, um, we were going to hang out and then she was just like, actually, no, (laughs) I forgot why, but (laughs) it was very polite. (laughs) I think I still follow her. (laughs) That's polite. That's polite. (laughs) Yeah. Keep the follow for courtesy's sake. Thomas, have you ever bought or been bought drinks? Um, I think a stranger maybe has bought me a drink at a bar when I was there with friends for my birthday, when it was clear that I was, like, having a night, but I, I've never, 
been bold enough to buy someone a drink. When you say having a night, do you mean like having a tantrum or what? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I wish I were having a bar tantrum and someone's like, dude, drink this and fucking calm down. <laughs> yeah. Just when you're like surrounded by like five people who are being very nice to you because clearly it's your special day. Just being an asshole on your birthday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, all five of you look at me for one night only. <laughs> For some reason, every time it's Thomas's birthday, people surround him and like clap for longer than seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been to like a couple of your birthday parties, and it and I don't know why, but a lot of times I go, "Oh wow, cool!" Like when he like multiple times in the night. I think it's Jossie's fault. I could be wrong about that. I think it's just yeah, it's just a, a people finding a new way to make fun of me for my birthday. They yeah. want to they want to shake it up. Oh, the big shots here. Happy 4th yeah. birthday, Tom. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this movie tonight because uh, you know, not to give people too much of a peek behind the curtain, but uh I, I don't know very much about kung fu movies, and I told Brody as much, and I was nervous. Mm-hmm. But I think we're gonna we're gonna get through it. But uh, Brody, tell us a bit about your introduction to Return to the Thirty Sixth Chamber and why you chose this title. Um, it's a bit roundabout. I mean, I like many action fans. Um, kind of just uh, had Jackie Chan just like mainlined into my veins when I was a kid. <laughs> um, you know, like um police story and all the all the good ones um rumble in the bronx rumble in the, the bronx big one for me of course um is that the one where he wears the rubber shoe i think so um uh it's it's kind of um instilled a love of bloopers in me that i still have today <laughs> <laughs> um and then from there i just kind of i definitely was just obsessed with um like fight choreography when i was a kid um, I was really into stuff like Ninja Turtles and, um, there was this movie that came out called, um, Iron Monkey that I had on, uh, VHS that I would watch like every day. Um, it's about like a Chinese ninja, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, and then I knew about this because of, um, Wu-Tang, of course. They entitled their first album, Enter, uh, I, what is it? Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers. Um, that sounds right. And then RZA um, would do this thing where he would um, tour um, and show Thirty Six Chambers, but he would do his own soundtrack to it, which unfortunately I, I never got to see. But it sounds um, amazing, and I <laughs> I have to see. I, there has to be some kind of version of that that exists, but I, I want to see that. Um, but then when I saw that this was on netflix or something i'm sure i had watched it before but um all three of the 36 chambers movies were on netflix um which is 36 chambers return to the 36 chambers and i think disciple of the 36 chambers and um i just for some reason recently i just been really back into kung fu movies again they got a lot of really good shaw brothers stuff on there um, I follow a couple accounts on Twitter that just like tweet about Shaw Brothers movies and like Hong Kong movies. Um, like there's this guy, um, I'm gonna look it up real fast, but, um, his name is like Shogun something. Um, and so I watched this movie. I loved it. I watched the sequel. I loved it even more than that. I watched the third movie. Did not like it. <laughs> Did not like the third movie. <laughs> but, um, 
And then from there, I, I've just been sort of like on a small Shaw Brothers um, binge. Like, I, I almost wanted to choose this other movie that I saw very recently, um, which is um, The Flying Guillotine. Have you guys heard of The Flying Guillotine? Not to like get I've off topic. I've heard but... of it, but I I read that when I was yet. browsing titles for this, but now I haven't seen it. It's so sick. It's, <laughs> it's um, okay, so this guy invents this weapon that is basically a big metal hat that you throw like a frisbee and <laughs> it lands on someone's head and then there's this like curtain part that comes down and then uh it there's like blades at the bottom of it and then it just like chops their neck off and then <laughs> holy shit and then like the hat is like connected to a chain so then they like whip the chain back and then they just like have someone's head in their hand <laughs> and then, <laughs> and it sounds literally insane and it is and they build an entire two movies around it where they uh play it completely seriously and it rules it's so good <laughs> I've never been more compelled by a pitch, I think, in my <laughs> life. I want to watch that movie tonight when we stop recording. You really should. It's um great. And it's all about this guy who's so good at chopping people's heads off, but he's just like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. And then he runs away, and then everyone else tries to, I don't know, kill him for some reason. <laughs> it's great. And is that on Netflix as well? Because yeah. the 36 Chamber movies still are. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to watch it immediately. Yeah, for sure. But 36 Chambers is itself great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Shaw Brothers movies are on Amazon and Netflix right now because mm -hmm. the company that acquired like the library, Celestial Pictures, like just secured international rights like from jump i think that's how they're hmm. possibly how they're making money at the moment i'm not sure but they they're really putting the library out there right now nice that's cool yeah i saw that shaw brothers ceased to produce in 2011 mm -hmm. sounds right yeah they fucked off to television in the 80s and then closed down for good yeah around 2011 i think you said um just because they they stopped being top dog because the people that Run Run Shaw screwed over, formed their own company that did way better. Oh, wow. What was that company called? Oh, great. <laughs> it's okay if you don't remember. <laughs> Busted. I, I had it in my head, and now I don't. Oh, well. Even though with the company biting the dust, it's nothing to scoff at. I mean, they mm. produced almost a thousand movies, which is crazy. Oh, and, wow. And, you know, they produced a lot of the early output of plenty of people who had, like, major crossover Hollywood careers, like Chow Yun-Fat, Jet Li, mm -hmm. Maggie Chung, Gordon Liu. Most of their early movies were Shaw Brothers productions, which is incredible, and also something I didn't know before this podcast. Yeah, that's honestly insane. I mean, nothing lasts forever, honestly. As someone who loves just um tons of old media and franchises that will just die off for decades at a time like ultraman and then just come back out of nowhere um you know it happens <laughs> it's great that this stuff is on netflix though for any qualms i have with you know some of their productions they do have a lot of great titles you don't find them on the main page but if you're searching for stuff there's a ton of shit like this that you wouldn't know is on there. So Yeah, they have stuff like um, Five Elements Ninjas, which is pretty sick. Um, they have um, Five Venoms as well, too. Um, 
they Netflix just in general. I don't think people talk about this enough, but Netflix has so many violent shit. <laughs> like <laughs> whether it's animes or movies, it's just like you could find the craziest, like desensitized stuff on Netflix. I think the weirdest thing I ever found on Netflix wasn't violent, but it was bizarrely sexual. Okay, it was this anime called Popotan, which was based on like a. One of those like erotic visual novels. Oh right, yeah. Games where like gals with their big jugs dance around. Um, but they made they adapted that into like a weirdly touching anime about like the passage of time and the transience of life. But all the characters still had giant gag tits. Wow, I've never heard of it. <laughs> it was so weird, and I could not figure out for the life of me who it was for because there are moments that were like too horny and then there were moments that were like boner killing in their like beauty mm. and like the idea of of like friendships lasting over decades and like the fleeting nature of time and stuff but then there was also like a big tittied robot <laughs> unfortunately that is very much my shit it sounds like <laughs> and that's what dark weeb is right it's, it's your, your anime podcast yeah? um it's so uh dark weeb is a uh podcast that i do it's just it's basically a nerd culture podcast that i do with my best friend cody um he writes for um he writes for like a bunch of like marvel stuff and um he's writing for rick and morty right now and we just if if i had my way it would just be about stuff from japan (laughs) and he's just like can we talk about comics every once in a while please and i'm just like fine (laughs) But we talk about everything. We'll talk about, you know, like video games and whatever kind of nerd obsessions that we have. Um, and we'll try to have guests on and kind of like focus it. But honestly, it's sometimes it's just us catching up. It's kind of like um, <laughs> it's the sequel to um, his older podcast. that was like literally just him interviewing people. Um, and we were just like, okay, let's just me and you just do this every week. But, um, <laughs> it's not really every week. <laughs> we have a <laughs> storied, uh, release schedule. <laughs> two friends, two friends catching up though. Sounds like a brilliant podcast. I mean, I think Bethy and I are hedging our bets on people wanting to listen to two friends, hang out and talk about that's movies, every so. podcast hedging your bets on that. So right, don't even right. trip. Don't even get in your head about it. Uh, I was actually texting Thomas today that, I haven't, without intending to, have like created a podcast character of myself. Mm. Like a lore is building around myself right now. I think, I think I'm smarter than podcast me, but podcast me can't keep a name in her head to save her goddamn life. Yeah, pod podcast me has a lot of stories about uh, spitting on people. Yeah. Uh, just, like, normal stuff. Podcast me likes to eat chips on microphones. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. It sounds great, and you also adjust the input volume when you're chewing, so it's just, like, clipping in the mix. It's, like, thunderous crunching. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Can we actually, can we borrow that, Brody? Um, alright. <laughs> sure, I'll let you do it for free, yeah. We'll get some thunder crunches and we can use it as like a break if we ever need to put in an ad. Yeah, we'll be sure to... <laughs> It'd be we'll so smart you. for a chip company to sponsor a podcast. I just want to point that out. Hell yeah, so should we should we dig in a little more to a return to the 36th chamber? No, let's vamp a little bit more. Alright, cool. 10, 15 more minutes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so a, a bit of context uh, for the listener, and Brody, please chime in at any time since okay. you know this much better than I do. But um, uh, Return of the 36th Chamber is the second of three 36th Chamber films by mm-hmm. Lau Kar Leung. Is that an acceptable pronunciation? Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the thing about everybody in these stories is that they have like five names because they mm-hmm. have their Mandarin name, their Cantonese name, sometimes an English stage name, sometimes like a separate Cantonese, like a second stage name. Yeah. So I can correctly pronounce be... any Japanese name and Chinese is just completely out of the window. Um, absolutely. But um as long as you try with intention in your heart. <laughs> we will we will acknowledge at the top of this that there may be some pronunciation errors. Um, and, you know, very sorry for that. Um, this filmmaker, though, is actually more frequently known as Liu Chia Liang. So I think that mm-hmm. is probably the name um, that I will use as we go through this podcast. But he um, collaborated very frequently with Gordon Liu, who plays Akia in this movie. Um he directed two dozen films and acted in many more. He's known for the Drunken Master films, which were the only other films of his that I'd seen. That was part of my Jackie Chan education like Brody. Um, <laughs> the, something that was really interesting looking into this film and the Shaw Brothers um, and just sort of the larger film infrastructure in Hong Kong was that Ni Kuang, who wrote this, has a dizzyingly prolific body of work. He wrote mm. more than 400 screenplays, oh and nearly half of those were produced. Wow. Yeah. Which is I fucking ha- insane. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about the Shaw Brothers studio is that it was like a, <laughs> uh, like an AIP, but with its own studio. Mm-hmm. So like... <clears throat> Uh, like a Roger Corman, like just like really chugging them out. Mm-hmm. I watched a right. documentary today that said that every movie was 40 days tops. <laughs> to be fair, um, a lot of the pages on that script were just, okay, these guys fight. <laughs> okay, yeah. a bunch of guys fight. <laughs> okay, right. picks up a, pick up a stick and fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's almost like the way that in silent movies, the person wasn't a writer. They were like a scenarioist. Like yeah. you're just sort of doing the set dressing around. the. You're like putting curtains on the fight scene, essentially. It still makes it, it, it just dwarfs whatever, um, productivity you have. I mean, like, I write on average, maybe like a page a day or something like that. And I'm still just like, okay, I guess I'm on my fourth rewrite now. Got some notes back. <laughs> I feel like a, a, a like a Western conception of a prolific screenwriter or filmmaker is someone whose work numbers in the dozens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I was seeing the numbers of these guys, I'm like, these are heavy hitters, man. We 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 have no frame of reference for this yeah. um, in Hollywood. As we said earlier, this was produced by the Shaw Brothers, which was a film production giant based in Hong Kong that operated for over 80 years, starting in the mid-1920s. And like we said, they launched a lot of actors who rose to prominence um, in Hollywood beyond their work with the Shaw Brothers. So Return to the 36th Chamber is situated in a loose trilogy, which revolves around the 36th Chamber, a particular area used for training in the Shaolin Temple. Mm -hmm. I've only seen this film, but I read that this is almost a a remake with a more comedic tone of the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. Does that sound right to you, Brody? Yeah, the um, first movie, um, and this movie too, I think the first movie is the um best example of uh, a training montage um of all time like it takes it the whole 
I, I would say like two thirds of this movie is just one big training montage, <laughs> um, where the main character, um, Sante, is going through just these chambers, and each chamber is um, uh, it, it it trains you on one specific thing, like stepping on a log to um, uh, get over uh, a, a body of water, to headbutting sandbags, to um, uh, looking at a, a, a piece, uh, um, you know, like a stray strand of light really fast to train your <laughs> eyes and like um, really like <laughs> crazy stuff like that. Like my favorite one is when he, I think the second chamber, he has to carry two buckets of water um, to train his arms and then they place um, knives. They like attach knives to his bicep that like if he drops his arm, like they go straight into his torso and it's just like, this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, but I kind of want to do that. But um, the second movie is actually kind of um, um, a subversion of the first story where um, he, the main character played by the same person, um, but not in the same role. They like recast um, his original role for someone else who is kind of like more of like a master figure. And he just plays this guy who isn't really allowed to train at the temple but he is allowed to like work there <laughs> just like doing menial labor and then he is he's literally like an intern like this is this movie could be called <laughs> kung fu intern like that's right, essentially right. what it is <laughs> yeah i really i really liked it should i should i take a crack at the plot flyover for the listeners or would you prefer to do that brody um I could definitely take a crack. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I could definitely do the second movie. So the main character works at a, um, I think, a textile factory where they're uh, where they're making dyes for, um, you know, fabrics and stuff. And there is a local gang that is like shaking down um, the company. And in order to pay the gang, the uh, people who run the company are... Um, they are stripping the wages from the people who work there and they're really upset. Um, and then there's this guy who is this kind of like trickster person, our main character who pretends to be, um, a monk, I think. And he pretends to know Kung Fu and stuff. So they, I, I haven't seen the movie in like a while, but I just watched the first one again. So I'm kind of like going off my memory. So tell me if I'm wrong, but they try to get the monk, the fake monk, to defend them from the gangsters. And then he obviously does not know Kung Fu um, and he loses. And then he fucks off and then eventually goes to the Shaolin Temple where he um, is sort of just employed to do uh, scaffolding. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, is the, this is the best part of this movie also because... Uh, the main character's superpower basically just becomes doing scaffolding. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As he's like working on scaffolding at the temple, he um, observes these monks who are actually uh, people who are actually uh, training to learn kung fu, and he's kind of like replicating their techniques, but with like the bamboo and the straw that he's like using to make the scaffolding, and it's kind of like really goofy. Um, and then later on, he finishes the scaffolding after like a year or something like that. And he wants to actually 
join the kung fu, but he is out for revenge or something. And the monks is like, no, you can't join it. And it's just like, well, fuck you. I'm going to go fight these guys anyway. And then the monk's just like, oh, he doesn't know that he already learned all, all that he needs already. <laughs> and then he fights his gang. And it's just like a really big fight where he fights them with scaffolding powers. <laughs> so great. It's so sick. <laughs> I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I am going to jump immediately to the end. Mm-hmm. Where like one last, like the, the like final battle where, uh, our, our lead guy, the scaffolding monster, uh, <laughs> like takes it to the evil Manchurians. Uh, he, like at one point, he gets thrown into some scaffolding, and I like shouted at the TV, "No, that's where he's strongest! Don't you see, you fools?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it only makes him stronger. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I that was one of the most the weirdest parts for me as an American watching it was the. Uh, the the fact that like, this movie is made in Hong Kong mm-hmm. for like a Hong Kong and like Singaporean audience, which is why uh, the people from Manchu are the enemies, right? <laughs> because it's it's like a a real stoking of beef uh, between like mainland China and like Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, where like the Han ethnic Hans are. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like we hate those guys, boo. We hate the Manchurians. Oh, blah, blah. <laughs> and it was it was just so charged and also mm-hmm. that they were the only ones who had facial hair and I was like there's some coding I- going on <laughs> that I don't entirely understand. Yeah, anytime I watch a um an old East Asian movie, I feel like there's always some kind of like um like really potent political charge that I just am completely ignorant to. And I'm just like, I guess these guys are fighting because this guy's wearing robes and he is evil. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as far as I went on some of that cultural specificity. But it is like an inherently political movie. It's like mm-hmm. a kind of a pro-union piece. And there's mm-hmm. one other movie I've seen, which is The Legend of Drunken Master, is kind of an anti-colonial manifesto despite being all of the cool kung fu shit um so it 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 was cool you know when when i went into the movie i was expecting it to be a little more severe and i was surprised by how funny it is it's a really funny movie yeah this movie is like kung fu nine to five like (laughs) actually it was made the same year so yeah that makes sense (laughs) something something in the water uh but a- Aki is so so great as a character, and Gordon Liu, even before he is trained in Kung Fu from mm-hmm. just sort of sitting atop the scaffolding and absorbing all of the skills by gawking into the 36th chamber, his physicality is so incredible. Like, even when he's, like, kind of an untrained loser, you're still like, no, that's Gordon Liu. He's, he's an <laughs> incredible athlete. He's a Kung Fu master. Like, yeah. you're seeing the way that he moves himself... Uh, it's it's there the whole time, but I'll suspend my disbelief. And you know, he he of course he learns over the course of the movie. Yeah, I really wonder because I mean, people like Gordon Liu like literally spend uh like chunks of their lives in these schools where they like teach you to be in these movies where they teach you, you know, how to fight and uh, do it on camera. And I like I wonder if they like do they have comedy classes there as well too like (laughs) it's so funny to me like his physicality is for sure all over the place um i think that 
it's interesting because I don't think that he's necessarily the best comedic actor, but at the same time, it's just like when you when you're comparing it to all this other stuff, it's just like, oh yeah, he's the best around for sure. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it's so interesting because he's like such um he can play so serious and fierce but then like especially in these movies specifically like in the in the first movie as well too he plays his like um you know this prototypical like spunky kind of like not knowing much um type of underdog and it's <laughs> you never see like a very serious underdog or, or like a depressed underdog you know what i mean <laughs> like you never see that <laughs> Someday. <laughs> I just uh, think it's really interesting. Yeah, he has to play like the spunky guy, which is why, and the lead, which is why in this, in the sequel, he he plays this new guy where someone mm-hmm. has his old role of Sante. It, because like he can't be the overdog. That's just not going to work. No. Yeah, exactly. It's not compelling as a narrative. Uh, and they were smart to do comedy as well, too, in the sequel, which is um, interesting. And it worked out even better than the first one. Because, I mean, it still has all the elements that the first one has, it just has, um, you know, a, a more, more levity as well. Um, it's interesting because if that happened in like an American franchise, people would probably hate it, you know, right? <laughs> people would be like, um, uh, you know, uh, what's that? What's the one Star Wars movie that everyone complained was too funny or something? Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess the, the last Jedi, the last Jedi yeah, sort exactly. of laughs in the face of conventions and, <laughs> let's like, talk about that movie for an hour <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong well it will certainly divide the four listeners into two camps <laughs> does um the third movie which i still haven't seen does that one and that's go the back one you don't like the... brody right so you're, you're not a you're not a fan yeah. of the third um i'm not necessarily a fan of the third one no he goes back to playing um uh santi the original character I watched it just a couple days ago, and they that movie is not as re- well restored. Um, it definitely um, the film is damaged a bit, um, but the story just seems a little bit more complicated. Like in the first one, um, he starts off as a student at the school that gets um, basically wiped out by the Manchu person. Um, we hate Emperor. them. We hate True. them. Uh, and then the third one almost kind of like it goes, it spends a lot more time in like a school setting. And um, I don't know, I just kind of checked out because there's there's more plotty stuff going on. And I don't remember a lot of what <laughs> happened in it, even though I saw it a couple days ago. Yeah, it's not as compelling. Does it go back to dramatic? Does it go back to drama from the comedy? I, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it definitely, (laughs) it definitely does, I think, but it's, it's a little harder to tell. Yeah. I forgot that, like, in the second, I mean, also to say that, you know, this is a comedy is, is, you know, this was made in, like, 1980, the second movie, so it's, like, it's almost kind of a stretch. It's not like you're gonna see, like, big jokes or anything like that. It's not like a Mike Myers movie or anything like that. There's a, (laughs) there's a sequence where, he has to um, clean a wig, <laughs> and then he does it by dropping a big rock into a well. Like, <laughs> like you're not gonna laugh out loud, but you'll appreciate the tone. <laughs> I will say though, there are like two big 
comedic moments and mm-hmm. they're kind of back to back that killed me in this one one is um when uh, Akia is going to the Shaolin temple, he sees that there are monks harvesting grain mm-hmm. um, as a, an, an activity in focus, and he pretends to be one of them, and they very quickly realize he's not a monk, and they very literally laugh him out of the field. Everyone <laughs> is pointing and laughing at him, and I'm like, oh man, this is a, That's this is a classic roast. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's painful. And then he's, he's, he's trying to you know regroup and figure out, how am I going to get into the temple? Temple, and he poisons hot tea that one of the monks is drinking to give him diarrhea and he's basically just listening to this monk fart and, and waiting for him to shit his pants and i'm like this is classic comedy i i love what i'm seeing here i take back everything i said it's really funny <laughs> they're yeah. fart fart and poop jokes yeah and uh hearkening back to, it's not Mike Myers, but it does have giant fake teeth like a Mike Myers. Oh, movie, yeah. Right? <laughs> that, that, one. Is, that is really interesting to me. What What is that choice creatively? Is that a, is that a trope that you see in a lot of kung fu movies? I think it's, I think it's a trope that you would just see in um, their media, whether it's like um, comics or, or drawings or, um, or kind of anything. It's, it's really kind of funny because... Um, if you saw that, like, in an American movie, you'd just be like, oh, this is extremely racist. <laughs> but when you see them do it, it's just like, oh, okay, that's, I guess, maybe that's where it comes from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just the biggest, fakest teeth I've ever seen in my goddamn life. And <laughs> it's a little bit hard to pay attention to some of the stuff happening at the textile factory, because I'm just, like, a little part of my head the whole time is going, teeth, teeth, <laughs> teeth. Teeth. And it, it it's it's not even it's not even like what you think of when you see a strange prosthetic in a movie. It yeah. is such a prominent aesthetic idea. You see it immediately, and you're like, "Oh, that's his name is A, a Chow is is the one with the huge teeth." But that is all you think of when you think of that. Yeah, character. it's like someone took like a little girl's hairband and then put yeah. it wedged it in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Um, something, something that I, I thought about when watching this, and I don't watch a lot of Kung Fu movies, so I don't think a lot about their characteristics, I guess, but the sheer number of people in nearly every shot in the movie makes it so cinematic and gives it such production value. And I'm constantly looking at the background actors to see what they're doing. And it takes, it takes a, a, a special kind of director to be able to command that ensemble frame for frame. It makes me want to watch more of these movies because I'm assuming they are as they, they have as many extras um, and are as colorful as this one is. I'm baffled anytime I see extras anytime. Like, I, I kind of wonder, because, I mean, they made so many movies. I'm like, did all these people get paid? <laughs> like, I hope so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm baffled anytime I see extras, honestly, and I have been in the industry for, like, almost a decade, and still, like, I was watching, um, I think I was watching, I was watching a Will Ferrell movie, the one where he, the, the one no one remembers where he owned, um, a basketball team in the 70s. Semi-pro? Semi-pro, yeah, I, I watched that, like, the other day, and I just remember there being... Um, just like the climax when they're literally just like playing basketball for a game and I'm just like, 
wow, they really got a lot of people in here just to watch Will Ferrell play basketball. (laughs) 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 I couldn't pay attention to the movie for like five minutes. I was just like, what? (laughs) It's the most extras I've seen in a Will Ferrell movie ever. (laughs) Um, As I understand it, because uh, the Shaw brothers were making so many movies Mm -hmm. all the time, they had like a ton of people on contract. Yeah. So all those people were probably like training to be leads later. Mm, So like... They they were getting paid. There was a rule that they weren't allowed to talk about how much they're getting paid. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> they, that's what they need. They need a Santa type to, yeah. to fuck that up and help them unionize. Man, yeah. exactly. That's any movie that's like built on uh, the working man, truly. Um, yeah. I, do, do you think they went through central casting for them or, or what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was watching a documentary on YouTube. It was called Fists of Fire, and it was like a, a 70s documentary about the Shaw like complex in Hong mm-hmm. Kong, and and they were they were showing like the acting classes where they like give these starlets like line readings and have them mm-hmm. like repeat it back the way the director told them to, uh. and and a lot of. Uh, like martial arts school too so my guess is they just got a class mm-hmm. and brought the whole class in but that's just speculation on my part that'd be the smartest thing to do um man i really long for the like the old days of acting where people were just like oh you took you took an hour seminar all right get on camera <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we like we like your face here's 50 dollars a week yeah if you didn't uh, have a show- stutter, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Come through, stand in this scene for us, and then maybe later you'll be a star, or maybe you'll just have a steady paycheck for two or three years. Yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very new to the Shaw Brothers, um, but but it it the the enterprise is so interesting to me. Considering how many movies they made, it would make sense for them financially to just sort of have extras on the payroll who they have return film after film because they've constantly got a thing going. Yeah, um, I, I think, honestly, like, this is just how movies are made in every other country that's, like, not ours. Like, I am so used to just, like, the process of getting something greenlit in Hollywood where it could take, like, years from script to rap or whatever. Um, and then I'll, like, you know, all of the... Uh, shows that I'll like go back and watch, which is like, I watch like a lot of like Super Sentai stuff, like old common writers and stuff like that, where they're like literally just making 50 episodes of something like a year. And I'm just like, how do, what? How, I don't understand how to make an episode, like a, like a, like a half hour episode of something in one week. Like it baffles me. <laughs> um, I have recently come back onto the, vulture payroll as like the late night critic and Mm -hmm. the thing that i like most about late night is that like something has to go up at 11 figure it out and so people so often are like scraping the sides of their like creative mustard jars this is not a good metaphor but like the fact that something (laughs) what are some other jars that we could more jars i need five alts on the jar um but because something has to go up sometimes it's just completely bonkers and i yeah. think you get that with like the what was it flying guillotine one and two mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh it's yeah that's definitely a refillable idea right there of flying guillotine 
<laughs> um, that movie, when you do watch it, and I do honestly suggest that, um, like, once the main character goes on the run, um, which is, like, a little less than halfway through the movie, like, the rest of the movie is just the same beat over and over again, where he, like, goes somewhere, um, like, lives in anonymity, and then they find him, and then he fights some dudes, and then he has to move, and then he does this maybe four times, <laughs> and then the movie ends with him moving one last time, I guess. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I guess, yeah, when we're talking about, you know, screenwriters who are writing hundreds of movies, mm-hmm. you're probably going to, you know, recycle some beats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, once you you just have to learn how good guys and bad guys work, um, you just have to think of, like, one reason for someone to fight. And then and then it's just plot from at that point. And pl- plot's a little easier, I guess. Um, it's probably easier when also your company is just like, these are the sets we're going to use. This is what we got. These are the actors we got. <laughs> Do it. Just give us a script. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> we can give you this wig and this yeah. set of fake teeth and figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of um, when back in Indiana, I did plays with my friends back mm-hmm. in um, a gay bar. And I didn't necessarily want to, like, craft a plot because their work so i would ask people what they wanted to do and then sort of put the pieces together from there so like one of our plays i had a friend who wanted to sing because we were doing a musical this time she wanted to sing uh they wanted to sing you're having my baby okay and and they also wanted to play a uh guy named dick frisbee okay yeah good name and so i was like oh okay i get it now so that like so knowing that I had to have a song about announcing a pregnancy, I was like, well, I guess somebody has to be secretly pregnant. And well, I guess uh, maybe it can be the girlfriend of the guy who's dead. And yeah. it's a murder. Mis- like the parts you when you have like four little bits that, you know, you have to use like this set, this song, this wig. <laughs> Imagine if you bought like a screenwriting book and it was it's just ad libs inside. <laughs> <laughs> taught me everything i know (laughs) oh man um so brody because you're the kung fu expert if there is one among the three of us what what are characteristics about return to the 36th chamber that are better than other kung fu movies than you've seen what about this movie in particular stands out to you um a lot of kung every kung fu movie is pretty much about revenge um and, you know, there's always good reasons for that. Like, for example, like, if you watch something like um, Five Venoms, like, that's a story about these five guys and they were all trained by a master. And then some of them betrayed the other ones. And then they all went into hiding. And then it's just sort of like, find. it's just about finding people and uh, getting revenge and stuff like that. Um, this movie, or, or especially the first movie, um, doesn't even really, no, yeah, um, they're also the same thing, but it, I guess it just really hammers down on, um, the second act of a hero's journey, which is just like, um, you know, rising to a challenge and we're used to a training montage, literally just being a montage where, um, you know, you play some butt rock and then like a master <laughs> teaches 
someone had to do something within the span of like five to ten minutes. Um, and I'm, you know, surely they go through other trials and stuff like that, but like pretty quickly you see someone go from, um, I have discovered the tool that I'm going to use to, um, uh, beat the bad guy and pr- pretty soon they become adept at it. And then, you know, they master it at the final moment or whatever. This movie is more about, um, specifically like the training is, isn't so much in service of, um, beating the bad guy. Um, technically it is, but like, it's about the hero kind of having to tackle, um, their own weaknesses and limitations just like as a person. And like, um, especially in the second movie when the main character just wants to, in the first movie too, but they just want to cheat. (laughs) They just want to have the easiest route. And like, that's how the human brain works is that we seek the easiest route to accomplish something. And that the answer to this, this movie proposes is just, it's just hard work. It's just hard work and training and repetition and, uh, getting your ass kicked over and over and over again. Um, and, perseverance and it spends a lot of time on that almost too much time on it (laughs) but like they're doing kung fu so it's like you don't mind um and part of your brain like sees that and you're just like oh man i could do kung fu too (laughs) if i if i only did these hand motions um and bloodied my arms doing it in a really painful looking way um yeah especially the first movie truly is like when i think of um any kind of hard craft that i'm learning like um like right now i'm learning the drums and i've had a drum set for about four months and i still suck at it but i'm so much better than i was at first and now i'm just in a part where i'm just like okay i really have to like stop trying to learn how to play songs that like are too hard for me and i have to just like learn the basics i have to learn uh, the 20 rudiments, I have to just um, literally hit the kick drum with my leg a million times till my calf muscle gets uh, harder and stuff like that. And it's kind of that Kill Bill mentality where, you know, you see Uma Thurman uh, punching, uh, a, a, you know, a tree a bunch of times. Um, and it's like if you took that sequence and then, you know, made 35 of those sequences, <laughs> you know, like that's what this movie is. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's just the ultimate training montage. That's why I love it. Brody, I think the trick to learning drums for you is to go to Guitar Center and pretend to be a Guitar Center employee. <laughs> yeah. And after you're outed as a fraud, they will make you build scaffolding around Guitar yeah. Center for something like 12 months. And you'll see the gods of drumming play. I'll just and without even realizing it, you'll become a god. <laughs> <laughs> <Hold on. laughs> That'd be so stupid. They'd be like, please stop. <laughs> Who's the who's the guy who's playing drums on the scaffolding? Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. We didn't ask him to do that, and we're about to call the cops. <laughs> it is such a such an interesting choice for the second movie to take the same story and play it comedically because yeah, the the first one has these. You actually see all of the different chambers, but in this one, you see like maybe yeah. three chambers, and it goes straight to the thirty sixth one that he like fa- founds at the end. But it's like, what if he fell on his butt a lot? What if we show the exact same thing, 
but he'd do a big fall <laughs> on his butt. That'd be good. Yeah, basically. Even in the first movie, you don't you don't actually see all the thirty five chambers, thirty six chambers, but um, it's it's implied, <laughs> and it really feels that way. You see about six of them, um, and but you're you lose count. You're just you're just in it at that point. Um, it was really like a, a genuinely magical feeling watching that first movie, and I actually I think I went in the wrong order as well. I actually watched Return first i believe and i was just so jazzed on the prospect of it i'm not even sure what point i was at in my life where i was just just like i don't know to see someone go from nothing to something always just encourages you in a certain way and you know what else is encouraging is watching dudes kick ass and also (laughs) be really skinny at the same time (laughs) personally i'm just like oh this guy has no muscle definition but he is whipping ass just like me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I yeah, I am encouraged by that. Yeah. I have big, huge muscles. So yeah, I I, I, it's not for everyone. <laughs> well, this this has been great. We're gonna have some big return to the thirty sixth chamber heads uh, after listening to this podcast. Is there anything else you want to touch on, Brody, or do you feel like that's? I mean, if um, you guys are interested in more kung fu movies, I'm not an expert on kung fu movies at all, but I do. Um, follow the there's there's a couple accounts um on twitter that i think are really sick and if i could find them right now that would be honestly also sick but it doesn't look like i can um i think there's this guy named shogun supreme um on twitter who um i really like a lot and some of my favorite movies um if you can find them are like as I said, Iron Monkey is really good. Five Venoms is great. Five Elements Ninjas is great. Um, there's a lot of really colorful, really cool Wuxia stuff going on, and you can find it on Netflix. It's available. If this stuff was available when I was a kid, I would have popped a gasket because, uh, yeah, I would have lost my mind. So definitely check out. I don't know. Just explore. Yeah. This is great. I mean, one one element of watching movies at the bar, and, you know, there are a few different ways that we look at this podcast, but one of them is just what are the movies that you talk about and, and you just, you, you're effusively praising after you've had two beers. <laughs> this kind of feels like that thing. Mm-hmm. And Brody, I would love to sit down and have a beer with you and hear about this stuff because I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm leaving this with six recommendations of things that I want to watch immediately. Nice. Very Nice. Yeah, I feel like this movie is perfect for both to watch like on mute at a bar, but also like after two beers, you're explaining like the 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 gentleman's teeth or like <laughs> at the end where there's just a stool fight and all of a sudden everybody has a stool that they didn't have yeah. before. I was like, all of a sudden everybody had the same stool and I was so confused by that, but I was also completely in love with it. So you like, but then after like three or four, you're like, but really, it's about perseverance. <laughs> and the fact that there are no easy ways out, like you just have to put in the work. And it's like extra touching because the the lead guy played his mentor in the past movie. So it really brings yeah. a parallel between the two characters. <laughs> and it's like, I see myself in you because I used to be played by you. I mean, all you need to tell people when you're drunk at a bar and this comes on is that this inspired Wu-Tang and they'll think you're so cool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for knowing that. 
Yeah, and then there's uh, there's one other thing I'd tell them, which is that when Akia comes back to the dying plant and he's fighting the Manchurian overseers, he beats a dude's ass and then ties each of his ankles to one end of a large bamboo (laughs) pole. And then he's just lying there and can't move doing a perpetual split. That's cool. (laughs) I think it's so convenient that the tools needed to dye fabric are also the same tools that you used to fight Kung Fu. Like, who would have thought? Just a one-to-one. It's not a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Brody, where uh, where where can we find you online? Both your personal handle and also your your podcasts. Um, you can find me at Ayo Brobro on Twitter, mostly Twitter A Y O B R O B R O. Um, you could listen to the Male Gaze podcast, which is a podcast that is much better than it sounds. It's a it's about deconstructing <laughs> um, toxic masculinity in um, the news. And you could follow Dark Weeb, where me and my friend Cody are talking about all kinds of stuff, um, usually about anime for sure. Um, <laughs> you can also listen to Dumb Posers, which is a musical podcast that I do with my friend, where we write um, songs based on suggestions, and it's um, uh, really interesting. That one's a newer one, um, and that one's a lot of work, honestly. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, they're all fun times. Wait, I have another credit yeah. for you. Um, didn't you just uh, edit oh, yeah. a segment oh, on yeah, Racer I Trash? To plug Racer Trash also. Racer Trash is probably the coolest thing that has popped out of this pandemic. Honestly, it's a it's it's basically when it's a it's a collective of people where we take a movie and we basically visually and auditorily. Um, remix it um, like if you're familiar with what vaporwave is it's like a vaporwave did cocaine um, and then <laughs> edited an entire movie like they've done like independence day um, they we've done vertigo we've done clueless um, i'm not doing it this month but uh they're doing um i can't well i shouldn't spoil it but they're doing a 421 and well i guess 420 will be over by the time this comes out but it's 420 every day so <laughs> follow racer trash and uh definitely check out their twitch streams for sure i've really enjoyed all of the racer trash features but i still have a soft spot for the speed racer because Mm -hmm. i'm such a fan of that movie and those sequences with the vaporwave retooling i just wanted to sit incredibly stoned in my bedroom (laughs) and watch it two or three times in a row (laughs) i'm working on a, a a small secret mini one right now which is the racing sequence from the little rascals movie so maybe oh my god maybe i'll enjoy that (laughs) that's so good that's my new favorite movie brody oh yeah it's really good (laughs) every racer trash feature winds up being my favorite movie and then they make another one and it's not fucking fair Uh, i was i was kind of pissed off that they were not making an appearance in any of the oscar categories this year but next year they're gonna sweep (laughs) editing eventually for sure (laughs) Yeah, you've got nails. It's gonna get it for <laughs> yeah. sure. Uh, Bethy, where uh, where where can we find you on Twitter? And does the show have a Twitter account? So glad you asked. Uh, I'm at Bethy BSQU on Twitter. The show is on Twitter at Movie Bar Pod, and then we also the show recently got an Instagram, Whoa. which is at m- mm. oh at Movie Bar underscore Pod because 
All One Word was already taken by a podcast that didn't get off the ground in 2017. We're going to we're going to show him how to do it. Um, <laughs> you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. It's that's that's a joke. Um, the handle's real. It's just it's supposed to be funny. Um, but that's uh, that's that's all I've got. And our producer is Colin Jenkins, and our uh, cover image is by Lindsay Therrell, and our music is by... Quentin Mulligan. Quentin Mulligan. Recent record signee, Quentin Mulligan. Oh, yeah, no spoilers, but Quentin's, Quentin's blowing up. Um, Wheeler and Dealer. Uh, yeah, Brody, thanks so much. This yeah, is thanks awesome, for having man. Me. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we'll have to have you back to talk about uh, an anime. All right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins with show art by Lindsay Farrell and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Quentin Mulligan.